This is Bibliophile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliophile, I read Deborah Wolf's The Forbidden City and Mick read The Secret to Dating Your Best Friend's Sister by Megan Quinn. Welcome to Bibliovile. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here again to tell you about the two worst books we could read this week. Uh, I read a Kindle exclusive book that was longer than it needed to be, and Sue read something. I read a book that had 500 pages in it. It's huge. I ordered it sight unseen from the library in person, so I'm sorry. The the way that you pick up books at the library now, they were doing curbside pickup for a while over the summer, but now that it's cold, you go into the sort of entryway of the library, and there are three stations set up behind plexiglass. You slide your ID card under the plexiglass shield, A librarian picks it up, scans your card, and then goes to the back room to get the thing that you have previously put on hold. And so she came back from the little room where all of the hold books were, holding this behemoth of a book, which of course, Michael, is the second book in a trilogy. Of course. Of course. And so I got immediately very nervous, and then I started reading it and got even more nervous. Yeah, it's no other world, that's for sure. Speaking of Otherworld, do you know what I was thinking the other day? What's that? This is going to be the first Christmas in a really long time that we haven't recorded an Otherworld episode, or at least an episode of the podcast. Oh, man. What do we, why do we even have the Harry Potter cupboard then? I know, because I think, if I'm remembering correctly, four years ago we did a couples episode with Matt and Michelle, yeah. and then for the past three years we've done an Otherworld episode with Michelle. Yeah. It's the end of an era, the truly. First, first couples episode is the one with the ro- made for a rock star. Oh, yeah, that one was gross. That- and then the first Alona Andrews book. We have since read several more of them. <laughs> yeah. You can be my wingman anytime or however that ended. Um, It wasn't wingman, but it was something else terrible. And then I read the preview for the next book and they never saw each other again. Yeah. It was great. That's it was all makes, for nothing. That's what makes for a good romance book. You know what's not a good romance book? Uh, the Bible. <laughs> I suppose not. Uh, also, Ruth. The Forbidden City by Deborah Wolf. And Song of Solomon. Which is probably fair because it's not supposed to be a romance book. I feel a little weird hating on this book because obviously it, it took a very long time for this woman to write it. And also, it apparently has a lot of fans because there are three of them. So, like, there are people who were excited to read all 1,500 pages of this. So I kind of felt bad at first dunking on it, and I tried to attribute a lot of my struggle with it to the fact that it was the second book, and I had no idea what it was doing. But then I read some Goodreads uh, reviews, and I feel like maybe I was justified in that after all. So let me read to you, Nick, the first page. The chapter says, Sundered. The wind was born of a twilight lord playing a seashell flute. Webbed fingers, strong and sure, danced across a smooth shell as they had once danced across the skin of a human girl. 
She had been delicate and sweet and all things good. That girl was gone, just as the meat was gone from the shell, leaving only the memory of beauty and faint notes in the wind. But the sea was still the same, and the song was still the same, curling around his heart thick and slow as the magical fog that shrouded the sorrowful isles. I have no idea what's happening. Finn seems really into it. He moved over specifically to listen to you as if you were like speaking poetry and he was do you want to read you want me to read this whole book to you buddy i'll or, do that for you or did he just hear that there was meat in the shell that's probably what it and was wanted some of that shell meat so the biggest thing that was hard to read about this book is that the narr- the the author really loves uh long sort of flowery pose she loves right. weird metaphors it sounds very oblique yeah and i have no idea what she's talking about again partly my own fault slash your own fault for getting me the second <laughs> book in a trilogy so i like don't really have anything to reference but there's just no explanation of anything there's no explanation of how the world works or where we are in this particular chapter or what this person's job is or race is or whatever we're just thrown into the middle of it and it is very disorienting i'm gonna read a couple more excerpts because i feel like i just really need you to understand what you put me through yeah akari sun dragon launched himself into the sky and the world caught fire is it a kari sun dragon or is his name his name is akari is he a sun dragon or is his last name it's sun just dragon? the sun <laughs> if that's just the sun all right akari sun dragon launched himself into the sky and the world caught fire as the heat of morning kissed the slumbering land a fine mist rose from the sea to veil the blushing face of sajani earth dragon which is what we call the earth i can't help but notice the first chapter was named sundered and this chapter is named Two. Sure is. It rolled across the outer lands, black and rich, freshly tilled and eagerly waiting the farmer's seeds. It rose up in the streets like an army of ghosts, undeterred by moat and wall and gate, dancing into silent battle with itself, falling and rising and falling again. Like a war play put on by a troop of fools. There's so many metaphors in that two paragraphs. And it was the sun coming up. It was the sun coming up. And so it didn't really matter. And guess what? Almost every single chapter starts with the sun coming up. Ah, like a Reagan campaign commercial. Ugh. It's morning again in Akari's sun dragon. Uh, yeah. I, uh... I wrote, my, my third note here is, I'm 50 pages in and I have no idea who any of these people are. I don't understand how any of this connects and I have no idea what's happening. Um, I That's what I feel like at most uh, high school reunions. <laughs> um, I think my, my sister was staying with us uh, re- fairly recently and we were having a conversation about how there are some uh, book series, TV series that are just really influential on basically everything that comes after. And I think for fantasy novels, two that were super influential were Game of Thrones and Dune. And so this, I think you can definitely see the influence of both of those things in this book because the Game of Thrones comes out in that there are about probably 12, maybe 15 different characters that we follow throughout this book. Every chapter, we're following one of those 12 characters, and it switches on and off. Is one they of their all... names two? 
<laughs> no. no. <laughs> One of their names is also not Sundered. No. Um, they have fairly similar names and some of their stories are fairly similar. So I kept getting all of them mixed up. But it's just so many characters to have to follow. Um, but it feels very Game of Thrones where you are following different characters throughout different chapters of the book. And it takes a while for their paths to start to, to cross and to connect. Um, same with this. I, I didn't see the majority of their paths connect throughout this entire book. And I'm wondering if that happens more in book three, that that's sort of, you know, that's the climax of the trilogy. All of the paths connect. You sort of see how it all fits together. I, I have a guess. Is this woman married or in some way related to the guy who wrote the overstory? <laughs> I, I don't think so, but... Aw, dang it. I think she might have read the overstory. I like how you mentioned influential fantasy books as Dune and Game of Thrones, and not Lord of the Rings. I mean, no, I'm not saying that that wasn't influential. I was saying that I felt like this very much followed the, the Game of Thrones model. Ah. Um, another... The, the, the Dune inferences come in with, like, there's always a sand tribe. Um, I feel like Dune made people fall in love with the idea of a sand tribe. Um, and so this is a sand tribe of women warriors called the Zahira. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like a lot of this was also written, and this is the Game of Thrones influence too, this was written with a TV adaptation in mind. And so a lot of, like, the opening scenes, it almost feels like she's imagining, oh, this is going to be, like... Exterior the opening, yeah, morning. the exterior shot. We see the sun dragon, and so it like it felt really unnecessary to the book itself because it felt like she was writing it so that you could envision what the Netflix series she, is going to look did like. Did she include the musical cues too? Like, this must be the place by the Talking Heads plays <laughs> as the drawbridge raises up. Unfortunately, no that that would have made it better. There is also I checked. There's not a playlist at the end, which oh, is a bummer. I think that that whatever passage you're about to read should be uh, layered over Ocean Man by Ween. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to to put that in underneath this passage that I'm reading. Okay. The wind roiled eastward across the dunes, rousing them to song. Wind and sand, saw and Ka of the desert, fought against each other and their voices grew angry, discordant. The morning sky, which had dawned soft and rosy, shrieked with the souls of hun hungry Binchi. I don't know what Binchi are. It raked at them with sand teeth and fire breath and turned the anger of a battered world upon the small group of travelers. It tore at their clothing, clawed at their eyes, and raised questions that no heart could bear to answer. No human heart at any rate, though the Missoula warriors, the youth mistress, and the king's son hunched miserable in their saddles. Horses and Churim, warriors and Vashai, plodded along step by step, breath by breath, enduring now with little thought to there or then. I don't know what any of that means. At least Frank Herbert started you with a son, a dad, and his weird blue-eyed friend, so you could kind of get used to it. Yeah. And yeah. then he took you to Arrakis. <laughs> um, one thing that I did find kind of funny, um, you know, it was the book is very much focused on this like sweeping prose and these metaphors that are supposed to be very elegant, but once in a while they'll throw in phrases like. The horse dropped to his knees and scooched ungracefully inside the tent. <laughs> I'm gonna throw in the word scooch. Uh, again, I wrote, I made it to 100 pages and still feel a little lost. Went to Goodreads to check out some reviews, and one says, This book sure has a lot of words in it. <laughs> um, Goodreads had a lot of commentary on the convoluted 
pros. Some people really liked the fact that you're just sort of dropped into the world with no explanation of it. So it seems like that is consistent with the first book as well. Um, I, I don't feel that way. Maybe I would have felt differently if I had started with book one, but I feel very confused and wish I had a little bit of explanation. Um, I also made note several times that we spend so many pages on descriptive prose, but the actual plot points occurred a few paragraphs. This book probably could have been less than 300 pages. Um, some things like uh, one of our main characters learns that her father is using her and decides to challenge him for the throne. Um, there's a character that met his wife literally hours ago and already refers to her as the love of his life and says he would have chosen her over any other girl in the world as surely as the moons chase the sun. But all of that happens in like a handful of paragraphs. There's no relationship development. There's no real like coverage of the plot and what's happening. We're just told that it happens so that we can make room for more flowery prose about a Kari sun dragon. I will say that is less abrupt of a falling in love than some other bibliophile books. At Fair least enough. there for several hours. Fair enough. Um, thinking or talking about some of the weird phrases that are used in this, uh, there are several references to the phrase grab her by the pussy. This came out in 2018, so it definitely is referencing that. Uh, one guy says, that woman scares my balls right up my ass. So is this... Which is confusing? Is this kind of like, a, uh, their eyes were watching God, but the op, like, I guess not really the opposite, where the narration is deep and, and layered and symbolic, but all of the uh, dialogue is in patois and, and seems relatively ignorant. And so then this is all poetic, but every single person talks like they're... You know, at a bar, just kind having, of. taking a fireball shot. Kind of, except it's not good. Like their eyes were watching God is good. Um, I this is this hey, is a fantasy. Their eyes were watching God. Zelda Neil Hurston. Oh no, um, this is a bibliophile classic. But some of the names include Ismay, Jean J I A N, uh, Mazula, Istasa Ani, and then a guy Abagana. named Jason. <laughs> um. Yeah, there was just, there was a lot. It just sort of kept going like that. Uh, I wrote down at one point, I'm on page 431, and who the fuck is Daru? Who's apparently one of the main characters that we read about a lot. Um, I'm not really even going to give you an idea of what the plot is, because I don't super know. Uh, three pages from the end, I wrote, what on earth is a bone singer? Um, oh, if you gotta ask, baby. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to read a couple things from the very end of the book for you, and then I'm going to tell you about what happens after the end, which made me furious. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Deep in their dungeon, the sisters arrived. They screamed and gnashed their broken teeth, and black tears streaked their faces like soot. He burns, the first sister wailed. Do you see him? Do you see he sings, the second sister cried. Do you hear him? Do you hear? Ah, the third sister moaned as she thrashed against their common bonds. Ah, ah, ah. I hate Hamlet. They fell silent again, still and dead as old meat. I don't know who the sisters are, and I don't know who they're talking about. They were never referenced in any of the rest of the book. Like, what is happening? Um. Yeah, I mean, it is just... 
incredibly confusing. I don't oh, know what's going on. Oh, and then the book on. ends two pages later. Yeah, and then the book ends two pages later. That's why it was so confusing. That was page 497. The thing that made me really angry was that you finish the book, and then you see appendices. You turn the page, and we have notes from Lore Master Rothfaust. But basically, what we have at the end here, which I suppose that's the whole point of appendices, we have an explanation of how the world works and what the countries are and who the rulers are and how the magic works and who's who in this whole story and how they all intersect. And I really could have used that at the beginning when I didn't understand what the fuck Akari Sun Dragon was. Uh, Deborah, Are you sure it's not Italian and it's appendices? <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say, are you sure it's not Deborah? I don't know. It could be Deborah. Deborah Wolf. Deborah! Um, do you want to learn a little bit more about Deborah Wolf? Not as okay. Deborah Wolf was born in a barn and raised on wildlife refuges. That's why she leaves all those doors open. Which explains a lot. As a child, whether she was wandering down the beach of an otherwise deserted island or exploring the hidden secrets of Bush, Alaska with her faithful, faithful dog, Sitka. I call it Bush, Alaska. She always had a book at hand. She opened the forbidden door, set foot upon the tangled path, and never looked back. She attended any college that couldn't outrun her and has accumulated a handful of degrees, the most recent of which is a Master of Science in Information Systems Management from Ferris State University. Mm. Among other gigs, she has worked as an underwater photographer, Arabic linguist, and grumbling wage slave. Through it all, Deborah has held on to one true and passionate love, the art of storytelling. Blah, 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 the author of whatever. Deborah currently lives in northern Michigan with her kids, some of whom are grown and all of whom are exceptional, an assortment of dogs and horses, and one cat whom she suspects is possessed by a demon. Why does everyone have to tell me how evil their cat is? Because cat people love talking about how much they hate their cats, even though they don't. I guess. It's kind of a bummer when you think about it, though. I will tell anyone that I get the chance to talk to you how amazing my dog is. He is a good boy. And that's how we feel about that. Um, Hey, Mick, can I, real quick before you start, Mm -hmm. uh, can I tell you how I found this book? How did you find this book, Susan? This book, because my Amazon algorithm is trash, this book was recommended to me on my Kindle. It was the advertisement that comes up as like the screensaver when you leave your Kindle sitting there for too long. Uh, and I saw it and I immediately downloaded it for you. And then I keep getting the advertisement. So I cannot get away from this book. Every time my Kindle times out, I get how to date your, the secret to dating your best friend's sister by Megan Quinn. So Uh, I'm haunted by this book. How do you feel about it? Uh, now that I get to exercise it, I will no longer be haunted by this book. Uh, but this book is far too long. It is, uh, I, I think... Is it 500 pages long? It's not, but that one seemed like an epic. This one uh, forgets where it's going and what it's supposed to be doing and just sort of uh, putzes around the house for uh, 350 pages. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, this is your classic, uh, I am a rich, hot, charming man, and I am a career-obsessed woman uh, who is nerdy and frigid, except it turns out I'm really great in bed. So it's a Hallmark movie. Yeah, but with uh, six sex scenes basically in a row at the Ooh. end. You know, I'm interested. I feel like not 
often do we get a sex book from the guy's perspective. I feel like more often than not, we're like our main character, our protagonist is the woman. Yeah, it's because most uh, most romance books, not to judge or, or stereotype, but most romance books are written by women. And so they tend to write about women. Yeah. And this one was written by a woman writing the main, it splits perspective, of course, but the main, I would say the main weight of the perspective we read from is uh, his, a man named Bram. And so what we get is over, I would say 60% of the book is about an attractive, charming, rich man. And it's very clear that our author is none of those things. Because she doesn't oh, know. He's, they're also smart. Oh. But she's not. Um, so... Bram is one of the worst people I've read about in fiction, and Julia, the woman he falls in love with, Jules, is not much better. Uh, you've managed to pick two of my least favorite types of people to fall in love Good. slowly and inexorably and awfully. <laughs> um, one of those types is Rich. Yeah, Rich Frat Boy from Yale. He was the, the king of the campus while we were on Yale. At Yale, and now he is a rich power broker. He's 33, but they all had smartphones in college because our author forgot how time, time works. works. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it f- oh, there's also time skips flashbacks. And- I love a good flashback. Did the did the time skip like chronology make sense? I wasn't paying enough attention to tell if it could make sense or not. But this is uh, one page into Bram. Uh, I'm not like most men. This is him talking. Uh, page or Line break. Never have been. Line break. Sure, I have my moments. I like money and power. It's why I own a shit ton of real estate in New York City and continue to invest, turning money into more money. I'm 33 and could retire right now if I wanted to. I'm making a jerk-off motion. Uh, but the real estate game is addictive, and I love the chase, the runaround looking for the next best investment. Uh, his his real, investment, or real estate portfolio comes up two more times. Next. Mm-hmm. I also like to fuck. What man doesn't? Cool. I've had many random fucks, never looking for more because there hasn't been one person to make me want to settle. Well, besides one, but we'll get to her. Fuck off, characters talking to yeah, me. Yeah, I feel like you're right. This is a person who is not a rich dude trying to write what she thinks a rich dude thinks and says. Yeah. And like most men, I love sports. Football, baseball, basketball, dot, 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 college sports, professional. The Olympics. Hell, throw me some synchronized swimming and I'll watch the shit out of that. Uh, He lost a uh, fantasy football bet with his two best frat boy friends. We are inclined to, uh, it has led to us to believe that they are the only three in their fantasy football league. (laughs) Which is not how fantasy football uh, works. It's a really boring fantasy football league. Uh, I got really excited because there's an Irish character named Rourke McCool. (laughs) Rourke McCool. And I will give the author credit. She named him this and then left it later. And then uh, a page later it says, plus, how could you not be friends with a guy named Rourke McCool? Yeah, it's a pretty good name. And so, like, okay, you made a stupid name, but then you at least had to hang a lampshade on it and be like, yeah, his name's Rourke fucking McCool. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I get you on this one. That makes sense. Uh, Well, we'll be back to him later. Um, Fantasy 3, Manhattan Frat Boys and the Fantasy Football League, just three. Uh, He describes himself as a preppy preppy yet sporty nerd. 
No. And so the only thing that's missing is emo because there's the four quadrants of humanity, <laughs> the four, the two axes of humanity. No, Preppy, but see, emo, jock, and nerd. Nerd just means that you like Star Wars, which at this point now encompasses the majority of the population. So uh, oh, that's main, all it means to be. Our nerd. main character is not the the best friend, Wrath. Uh, Bram, Rourke, and Wrath are our three frat boys. Terrible names. Uh, the reason he, he loses the fantasy football bet, obviously on purpose, because he's really fucking good at fantasy football. He's also good at fucking. Uh, <laughs> he loses on purpose because he's in love with his best friend's, uh, sister. I don't know if you got that from the title. Mm-hmm. Best friend, Wrath, who is the preppy, uh, jockey sport prep. Uh. But also a little nerdy. Oh, he's a nerd, yeah. Um, and so he wants to date... The sister and the, the, the bet that they all made at the beginning of the year, complete with contracts because they're businessmen. So they've laminated contracts that they go through the terms and conditions. <laughs> aren't, we, aren't we so clever, boys? Yes. Um, boys. <laughs> uh, he has, since he lost the bet, he has to take part. The, the sister runs a matchmaking service in New York City. The, the, the singles capital of the world. And this is, this is set in... Uh, a bygone era no tinder seems not to exist in this uh, era. Hmm. um ah uh, yes those it's for when it's for really rich spaces. people who want to get like uh what's it called bespoke bespoke um, method oh let me guess it's data driven yes yeah but wait till we get there there's science behind it. i'm so excited to get there it's my least favorite part Wow, that's a Biblio sent Bibliovel said this. Can't wait to get there. It's my least favorite part. Uh our protagonist goes to her office because he has to take her test and sign up for her service, but he lost on purpose because this is how he's going to get closer to her. Closer to you. He arrives closer in her office and guess what archetype uh he and his two uh frat boy friends are? He is the where's my hug? Uh, archetype. Yeah, she is sitting in her office in New York. Pressuring people in inappropriate situations into touching you. Where's my hug? Super cool. Also a little infantilizing to a woman in her own business. Is it, uh, is it cold? He, he references her hard nipples a lot, even before they start dating. Uh, to her or in his own head? To her. We get flash. To her? Oh yeah, it's, it's extraordinarily. Gross! uh, Yeah, terrible. Um... He, <clears throat> we flash back to the college party where they first met, where, uh, she is a nerdy nerd who, who's never nerded harder in her life, mm, uh, coming to his, like Star Wars. coming to his frat party and he's wearing a cardigan without a shirt on with the sleeves rolled up cause it's fucking Yale and, Ooh, yeah. and he's the king of the campus. I was going to say, is it really that likely that, uh, siblings would all end up at Yale? But yeah, it actually is. Crazy. it's all about money. But anyway. no, cause he worked his way through Yale. Ah, I see. He's not privileged at all. Um, and so she arrives in overalls, like overall shorts, and tube socks. And uh, this is supposed to be like the unsexiest thing to ever happen. And this this drunk frat boy, we're led to believe through the inner monologue, is like, why would she ever wear that? This is so like, this is, uh, is she trying not to get picked? And I'm like, I don't think drunk frat boys worry about that sort of thing. And also, tube socks? Hmm. I wonder if there's a certain category of man who's into uh, leg coverings that reach them over the knee. It's like tube socks are pretty high up there in common like 
joking fetish like yeah this is a hot thing to wear also i feel like people don't really question what other people are wearing at a frat party because they almost always have idiotic themes like you just sort of assume someone is dressed up for something well, especially not the drunk dudes like yeah. maybe you get like the sorority girls or something checking each other out and competing but the drunk guys are like Argh. and also they're terrible because greek life is a lie and should be abolished mm-hmm. uh Agreed. And then, so it talks about how he met her for the first time and it was embarrassing because he made a, he was a drunken fool of himself or something like that. I, it wasn't even, I, I don't care. We then, the very first time we skip into her, Julia or Jules, her name is Julia, that she demands everyone call her Julia, but our main character continues to call her Jules despite her uh, firm and long-term wishes. Also very cool. Um, Julia Weston. Uh, and so... She has an inner monologue to us that only makes sense if we've been reading the previous chapters. It, like, references his thoughts, basically. It doesn't come out and say it, but it more or less is like, yeah, I also couldn't believe it. Or, like, nearly to that level. Yeah. Ridiculous. I'm not even in chapter. Maybe she's a mind reader. Maybe. Well, she does have an, and I quote, a far too intelligent brain. And so if you have a far too, Mm. this is the man talking, can't have smart women. Although he's into her because she's smart. If you have a character, if you're a stupid person writing a smart person character, what are they doing uh, as a morning hobby when our other character walks in? They have a fr- reading. They're reading a book. No. Doing a crossword puzzle. Doing a crossword puzzle. Yeah. Uh, this is very clearly supposed to be the funny friend. Like, it's it's full of, like, little, like... <laughs> but it, it's that it's that feeling when you're promised you're joining a new group of friends and you're promised, like, oh, my God, this this person's gonna be so funny they're the funny one and you get there and everyone laughs and you're like that wasn't fucking funny at all i wouldn't know what that experience is like um but you really are the funny friend so get this you oh my god you have so many notes yeah get this you have picked me a book where the male protagonist is the uh sort of alpha rich dude handsome charmer who always gets his way despite pissing everybody off Mm -hmm. who i've met people that are supposedly like that and I hate them, and I don't understand it. And her job as a matchmaking service is to give you a 300-question test where none of the answers make any sense so that when uh, you finish this test, you have been assigned a dating color. And she has this whole system for which colors go with which other colors and bases her entire system off of this. It is even stupider than the... INTJ shit. Myers Briggs. It's even stupider than that. Because Myers Briggs will ask you straight up and down when you're like, when what sort of things do you prioritize? What sort of person do you want to be? How do people see you, do you think? And this one, I will get to it later, makes no sense. Uh her I sorry, I just saw this. Her subtle perfume floats to my nose and kicks me dead in the dick. Shit, she (laughs) smells. No, you have to wait till the next one. Her subtle perfume floats to my nose and kicks me dead in the dick. Shit, she smells good. Oh, no. This is at the the frat party when he meets her when she's wearing overalls and tube socks. Eyes wide, Julia looks between the two of us. He's hugging her brother because they're best friends. And it it is pretty nice that it's two men that are in a very positive relationship with each other as friends. And, like, they're very loving and, and supportive of each other. And they don't, like, no homo afterwards. Yeah. So at least there's that. But then he also says, wanting to make sure we're all on the same page here, I push Wrath away and say, we really aren't lovers. We like tits and pussies. Good. Thank you for clarifying, sir. 
You, I thought you said there wasn't any no homo shit afterwards. That's well, definitely some no homo shit. Yeah, it goes beyond that. Nonsense. Oh, okay. Sorry, I gotta get back. Here are some of the questions. Uh, Candle, he's doing her test because he feels like he has to give take this thing so that he doesn't come out and say, this is a fucking stupid idea that you've based your business on. Which he does later and she gets furious and we'll get to that. But candle lit, that motherfucker smells like a dream. Cookies on a dainty plate because if anything, I'm classy and pencil poised I dive in. That's all one sentence. Okay? So this this alpha fucking Yaley frat boy real estate guy is going to take this dating test so he can get a date with his crush. Okay. And so he lights a cookies on a dainty plate candle and drinks a beer while he's taking this test because he's a classy motherfucker. Here's question number one. A gorilla steals your lunch but doesn't punch you in the process. Instead, he stealthy sneaks it past you without you noticing. What do you do? Answer A, wave your hands in the air and scream. Answer B, cross your arms, sit on the ground, and pout. Answer C, stomp your foot three times and scream no. Answer D, drop to your knees, let your shoulders fall, and cry. What was the point of any of that? What does that tell you? And so then he keeps uh, going. Answer two, or question two, we get a look at. Are you a history buff? Prick your fr- your favorite U.S. president. John Heinehole, Yolanda Mustard, Senior Wiener, Golden Sunny Rod. Uh, just answer the damn questions. It, uh, their personality question. Each answer has a reason behind it. I hope I get to that. What color is orange? Burnt, rusted, carrot, tiny teeth. Passion lives in your soul. Hatred lives in blank. Your liver, your bladder, your phalanges, your kneecap. Which one of these is not an Italian dish? A Big Mac, wonton soup, potato, and falafel. Uh, Describe the sport of baseball in two words. Tiger stripes, dragon breath, mountain peak, third nipple. So what is this supposed to be? Like, what is the supposed science behind this? Because at least, like you said, with something like Myers-Briggs, there's an argument that, like, you lean towards these things because they're they're actually logical questions. What is the supposed science behind her nonsense questions? How is this supposed to help New Yorkers fall in love? She has a master's in behavioral science, so... So it just works. Okay, cool. It just works because of smart. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. I'm trying to get to it because, but there's so many nonce. I started skipping entire chapters, like, uh, started just like running roughshod over the text and, uh, I would get to the end of the, uh, the next chapter and it would have just been from what I picked up, just a conversation in the diner and nothing new has happened afterwards. Like they just go meet other people, talk about what happened in the previous chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The fruit question was more about association. If I can remember correctly, the answers were fire truck, pantyhose, sunflower, and Chicago, right? That's her asking him. Sure. He humors me with a shrug of his shoulders. Depending on your... This is back to her. Depending on your personality, every answer coincides with the kind of person you are. If you chose fire truck, it means you're more likely to enjoy a berry than any other fruit. Pantyhose, given that they are typically brown in color, tells me you're not much of a fruit eater. Sunflower is a clear indicator that you are a healthy eater, and since Chicago is an urban city, it implies you are more of a raw fruit eater. Earthy. That doesn't make sense even in the bad logic of this larger thing that doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. Then she goes on to say, the bonus of the bubble sheet testing is that there is no place for objectivity. No. There's no place for subjectivity. subjectivity. You don't even know how this works. And so it's it's this very dumb person, and I'm sorry if the author is not actually dumb, but she's not smart at this. And so... Uh, then after she finishes the multiple choice style Lonsat's questions, she has to uh, get the personal questions because this is she needs to read their body language as they're answering. And so she has to... Oh, he continually refuses to meet her in her office and makes her come to his or go to a restaurant or something like that. Typical frat boy, power play. Exactly. Um, I guess what this comes down to is Julia might be good at finding love for others, but not for herself. Thank you for the plot summary. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for giving text to that subtext there, guys. Yeah. Um, he sends her uh, a bouquet of pens, and her favorite pens are paper mate. My favorite pens are blue big sticks. Yeah, so. but you're not a fucking Yale legacy who owns her own business in a Manhattan yeah, skyscraper. Yeah, she would be bougie enough to have, like, a, a very specific, very uh, expensive, like, boutique pen. Yeah. and so all the frat boys eat not, like, Doritos and drink Mountain Dew because they're still frat boys at heart, but they're all really fucking ripped. Yeah. And they, they you know, they drink scotch, and so it's like... No, they don't. They drink alcohol and protein shakes. You are, it is like a, a mix between, here's what I know about frat boys, junk food. Here's what I know about rich people, scotch. They do both of those things. It's like, ugh, no. Yeah. Uh, she's smart. She likes crossword puzzles and pens. She's she's rich. She doesn't like paper mate pens. Rich people don't, ugh. And then they like splurge on, sp whatever. So he has to go for his uh, one-on-ones, uh, to, to be able to be asked questions. Uh, and so he finds out... All right. So he has to... She asks him about sexual pleasure. Mm, uh, cool. On Great. a scale of 1 to 10, how important is sex? 11. Uh, write what you want. She just says, I'll make mark 10. But just make a note that sex is a huge part of my life. Because he's really good at... Uh, because I take pride in making women come. He grows serious. <laughs> this is him trying to talk to the woman he has a crush on. Work is work. I invest. I make money. I do it all over again. There isn't much to my job this these days that excites me. Working out is another thing I mindlessly do. I get the job done and move on. But sex, there are so many different facets that go into it, and every woman is different. Finding the key to their pleasure is something I take pride in. My mouth goes dry. It's like, oh, thank goodness we had this face-to-face -face part of the meetings so that he could be sexy to you. Gross. Uh, also, this guy needs therapy. I'm sorry you're not finding joy in any other part of your life anymore. No we kidding. need to find you some good hobbies. This does exist during Tinder because she says, you know this isn't a special form of Tinder, right? I'm not just here to hook you up with a one-night stand. Trust me, Jules. If all I wanted was a one-night stand, I sure as hell wouldn't be sitting here answering all of your questions. And when I'm monogamous with a woman, that's something I take seriously. I will spend all my free time exploring every different way to make my girl uh, the word rolls off his tongue, smooth and soft. Sending I hate it. Bone railing, chill straight through me. I hate it so much. Uh, what's your favorite sexual position? Why would that be a thing you ask on a dating profile? Yeah. Uh, Bram, nope, I'm not picking it. Really depends on the woman, too. If she has an amazing ass, I want to take her from behind and then have her fuck me reverse cowgirl. But if her tits are amazing, I'm gonna forget I asked. What the fuck did you expect asking about favorites? Yeah. Missionary. <laughs> Do you mind going down on your partner? 
fucking love it. She can sit on my face whenever she wants. You know, like most frat boys love giving head. Totally. Uh, N- notably unselfish lovers, frat yeah, guys. He he does uh, admit that he had at once engaged in anal play with him receiving, and mm-hmm. he said he wasn't super into it, but he was happy he tried, which is healthy, a healthy yeah. little sexual experimentation. But she's really into it. I squeeze my legs shut, the thought of Bram letting someone know I can't even think about it. Never done anything with the same sex. Does not have a threesome. I like a one-woman show, he says. That's a surprise to her. Uh, I gotta get to where she asks him, how long is, how much foreplay should you have? Oh, uh, that must have become earlier, so I'm not gonna do it. His answer for how much foreplay should she have, or should people have? 45 minutes. He is going to spend five minutes on each nipple. Uh, I, I listed the stuff he said. I would, here. I'm sorry. I would get so bored. Yeah. <laughs> uh... So yeah, he is told 45 minutes. He takes five minutes for each tit. Uh, 15 minutes for general, like, neck and chest and, and general erogenous zones. Uh, and then I think he mentions, like, 10 minutes to go down on a girl. And whatever adds up to 45 minutes. I'm like, no, that's, like, the average and the minimum. Hey, guess what? The sex scenes in the book, he's like, no, it's supposed to last 45 minutes. And she's like, no, have sex with me right now. And so they do. Never once again is barely any actual foreplay enjoyed. <laughs> And it's like, hey, yeah, that's why foreplay doesn't last 45 minutes, guys. I don't mean to get real too personal on the podcast, but that would just, that would be bad. That would not be fun. You'd be like, I got fucking places to be. I got cyberpunk downstairs. <laughs> like, you know how your brain goes kind of blank when you're really into it? Imagine, like, trying to keep that blankness around for three yeah. quarters of an hour. Trying to keep the mood up for a, a solid TV movie. Ugh. So, uh, he's a selfish lover, of course. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Oh, uh, they splurge on Panera. You know how rich New Yorkers eat Panera? Yeah, you know how rich New Yorkers refer to getting lunch as splurging? Uh he she Fucking then leaves mission counselors eat panera rich people aren't splurging on she panera. leaves bad reviews on the panera yelp once cool. again just adding to the amount of stuff i don't like about her he man spreads everywhere it goes which is like problem number like 450 about him yeah. in addition to the being a where's my hug guy uh he does not say you should smile more but he does say you should loosen up uh hey, bud. sexual harassment fuck off just i said just the toxic masculinity checklist yeah. uh sexual harassment is uh seen as charming in this book of course mm, naturally uh, the yeah. first time he's actually charming in this book is when he's uh planning he like always puts his fingers together and is planning basically every move to how it's going to make her like mm. basically trick her make into her like him. <laughs> uh and so he, the first time he's actually charming, he's asking about her personal interests and how did you get started with this program and like how much work have you put in it. That's not something that people like in yeah, a Yeah, you are that. expressing interest in something that is clearly important to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he get, she gets his results and <gasps> he's a red. Is that the color that's compatible for her? No. The red is like the hardest to match because they're super... Uh, What's the word when you stare at yourself in a lake and die in a narcissistic? Narcissistic. Thank you. They're super narcissistic and power moves and everything like that. And it, the you reader, mean a frat guy is a narcissist. The reader, I'm shocked. The reader, he lied on the. He just like colored in oh, bubbles. Yeah. And so the reader is like, 
yeah, I mean, I know it's not supposed to be true, yeah. but that does match everything I've seen out of this guy. And she's like, dude, I yeah. could have sworn he was going to be a blue or maybe a green. And the only people I can hook him up with are going to be oranges. And I'm, what I'm like, what color is she? She's never taken the test because she needs subjectivity. I mean, objectivity. Uh, and so you managed to get me a match of a rich frat boy, ca- uh, venture capitalist, and uh, who's a sexual harasser, charmer, and a stick up her ass pseudoscience smart girl. So good job on this matchup. Uh, I did a good job. You're I, right. I started skipping the flashbacks and basically everything else because we get up to 52%. He confesses he's in love with her and wanted to, he did this to date or whatever. He does not say anything about lying on the sheet. So she's still scared that he's a red and she's like, she can't match with a red. Mm. And she has to do her pros and cons and plan everything out. And it's like, we fucking have seen this a million times, guys. And so he confesses his love at 52%. And you're like, yeah, so you're like, you're, you're in Act 3 at that point. Well, 52 is way too early for Act 3. Act 3 should be in, like, the 80s, no, 70s, I, I understand that, oh, like, you're saying it the other way percentage-wise. Okay. I'm saying plot-wise, yes. you're in Act 3, if yeah. that's what's happening. And so I'm like, where are we going from here? And then she comes back and agrees to a date at 62%. And then the date lasts, including the first sex scene, up until about 80%. And uh, then the uh, 80 to about 92% is just a montage of doing something uh, disgustingly toxic for a relationship. Uh, so, like for, exa- for example, he they go bowling into laser tag. Pretty cute for, like, a, a sex book, right? And so she's really good at bowling. She talks about how she one time dated this guy who was on the, a club bowling team. And she the only interesting they, thing they did was go bowl. And he gets, like, what was his name? Did you love him? gross and then uh they go laser tagging and she beats him at that too and he like is ready to storm off and so she's like i'm i don't know i'm having fun because there's like the nerdy other laser tag guys you know how adults are always playing laser tag yeah and so at least they were before corona and so the uh nerdy other laser tag guys are like hey that was really fun like come have beers with us he's like no i think we'll be going and she's like oh i don't know because she's also trying to make him really mad and so she's like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to stick around here and uh, have a beer with these guys. And she's like, okay, cool. And walks out of the building and like threatens to just not come back. And then she has to like chase after him and get in the car. Very, very healthy. Very romantic. Yeah. Uh, Love to read about this. And then they bone down. And then uh, another one is about, oh, sh- they're having dinner and she's asking him about her his sexual conquest or whatever in in the frat and uh he i don't think she's asking him about the girls he boned in college aren't they in their 30s yeah and so uh he she starts talking about um this this guy that she boned down at the building that he knows about uh and he gets like super intense and she's lying specifically to make him mad and uncomfortable she's making up lies great and she, he's Very also getting healthy. super mad at her and she, relationship he like storms off and he has she has to go get her into no i was just i was just telling pranking i was just pranking you and then he's like just kidding he's gay and so he was also lying back to scare her just the best relationship there Very is. Very healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in one of these things where I, this is, happens before, uh, this is right up to where uh, they're about to have the first uh, sex scene. We get a flashback back to college and I'm skipping through it. And guess what happens to make him look like a good guy? Oh, he saves her from something. Mm-hmm. From a sexual assault. A sexual assault. He saves her from a sexual assault and walks her back to her dorm and doesn't try to also have sex with her and therefore he's a great 
guy. A knight in shining armor. What a protector. Truly. And so then he talks about when he's... It was actually like, for as far as this book goes, I'm going to get back to the terrible part. Don't you worry. I'm not excusing that part. But there was a scene in the middle where they're about to bone down. She invites him in and she's not planning on having sex. But then uh, she starts asking him to like make a confession like, tell me something I don't know about you. Yeah. And is, like, biting on his ear while he's trying to think of something. Mm-hmm. And then climbs on his lap and, like, rides around where he's trying to think of all this stuff. And it's pretty sexy because it's like, I'm distracting you. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then the only thing he can think to tell her about is the time she was sexually assaulted. And he went back home and was so sick and so mad that he punched a bunch of holes in his wall. You know, like healthy people do. And that's why he was in the hospital with a hand injury or whatever. And she is so enraptured by this that that's what gets her to basically put on her serious face, take him by the hand, and go, bone. The reminder of the time she was sexually assaulted in college. This person does not understand how relationships or anything are supposed to work. Um, And then we get a bunch of sex scenes. Uh, eight total pages of a completely useless scene. Uh, blah 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 blah. We get another breakfast scene. Back to fucking. Uh, one hilarious thing is that you've seen him talk about like tits and pussies and all that sort of stuff, and then all of a sudden during one sex scene, he's just like, and she and her boobs were bouncing. And the word boobs, we need something that's like not as explicit as tits or something like that. But isn't quite as childish as boobs is too childish. Breasts is too clinical, and tits is too like beer belly in a in a tank top like <laughs> yeah nice tits and so we need another word for it but there just isn't they're they've boned four times at only 76 percent i'm like what with will 45 still minutes of happen every time no absolutely not uh lots of male nipple play which is really weird they uh my last note is not actually about the end of the book uh she makes him dinner and they bone while the the pasta is cooking uh, every sex is the best sex they've Water ever had. Water's gonna boil over. Be it was careful. in the oven instead. Uh, and then they nakedly eat the pasta. Ew! Which is a terrible idea for many reasons. I Namely, don't want to eat sauce. I don't want to eat naked because naked bodies look good doing some things, but sitting down and eating pasta yeah. is not one. Eating of them. is already tough to be attractive during. Uh, and then they, uh, she can't get it out of her head. She gets really busy because he gets a feature or whatever, and she can't get it out of her head that he's a red. Never, never uh, taking into account the fact that he's admitted the reason he joined this program was yeah. to get closer to her. He has not ever said he did it. He faked the test, but he's admitted he was never actually trying to get a date. Yeah. And so she's still very concerned that he's a red, and she gets her test results back, and she's like a, I don't fucking know, uh, smiley face. Uh, one of the rarest of all. She's a silver. <laughs> and it doesn't match with red. And how can we build a relationship based on this? I've put hours into this bullshit pseudoscience. I'm a smart person. And so then he's like, yeah, I fucking faked it. What are you talking about? And she's like, what? He's like, yeah, I just wanted to get close to you. I didn't care. I just felt- I already mo- admitted that. I didn't care about this at all. I just want- I've staked my life on this. And he's like, it's a stupid fucking program. Which, admittedly, it is also probably not the best thing yeah. to say. And so they get in a big fight. And so he tells her that the thing she's making a lot of money off of, that she's worked very hard, is using her mind. Ma- I'm, I am basically reading five words a page at this yeah. point. Uh, she's, he's told her that. And he's right. But also, not a good thing, not to, a say. Good thing to say. Guess who apologizes? 
She does. Yeah, she has to come to him to apologize for uh, mm. causing a scene. Of course uh, she does. And so we we get a whole lot of uh, fun stuff about that. We also get updates on Rourke McCool is a uh, somewhat functional alcoholic, but he's Irish, so it's just in his blood. You know how all it's Irish just, people yeah, are? Yeah, that's just, uh, it's just how it goes. Yeah. Uh, the last one. Oh. Um, so she says, better late than never, Jules. And she, she says back, it's, he asked her to move in with him. It's Julia. I smile in between kisses. Nah, you'll always be Jules to me. The girl I fell in love with in college. My best friend's sister. Which, then there's an epilogue. Very sexy when you're kissing the person that you're in love with at the end of your getting together uh, story there, and you reference their brother there was go- supposed to be i think a conflict over the brother uh not appreciating it but he's like no i love this guy so i'm happy that you're fucking basically uh and then the epilogue ends with so what's the secret to dating your best friend's sister i didn't ask and this is the end of the book <laughs> i've discovered four things you need to transition your girl from being only your best friend's sister to being the woman you can't live without, your life mate. You must ensure said life mate feels valued and treasured by respecting who she is and what she's about. Odd as it may seem, appreciate tube socks no matter how they're worn. Did he do any of those respect uh, things? No. And know that they always need their own drawer. And finally, don't be a prideful dickhead. Know that love is worth fighting for because even when your hearts beat to the same rhythm, that's where true wealth is found. I hate it. Yeah, it's pretty gross. You know what else was gross? Is that that since uh, Rourke McCool is from Ireland. Rourke (laughs) McCool. Since Rourke McCool is from Ireland, she uh, tries to write in an Irish accent for him. Oh, and it's very bad. It is very bad. Guess what he brings to every party? Uh, Guinness. Guinness beer. You know how uh, rich people really love Guinness beer and uh, how Irish people don't have any better clue about what Irish culture actually is? Oh, he at one point says... At least uh, he didn't make Irish car bombs. Yeah. Uh, These three highlights are are one page and then uh, eight pages away from the next. I make sure to keep her blocked in with my foot so she's forced to stay close. Uh, This leads me to believe I'm doing everything right to gather her affection. Uh, And I take that as a huge win for me. Looks like I'm finally wearing her down. I hate it. Thank you. Uh, Here's Rourke McCool. And this is leading me into the end of it. Uh... He kept you away because you he has a venereal disease, I say, temper, temper getting the best of me towards Rourke. And Rourke says, fuck off, I do not. He turns to Julia. This is supposed to be written with an Irish accent. I really don't. I keep my dick covered at all times, even with blowjobs. I don't want a diseased mouth sucking at my cock. He's saying this to his, his second best friend's sister, a woman uh, who he does not very much know. And Rourke McCool uh, makes a second appearance. As the main character of the second book in this series. So uh, there's going to be more Irish accent. So um, there's going to be an entire, not only Irish accent, but I'm guessing an entire Irish uh, narration oh, as okay. well. And so I would like to uh, inform you that next for next week, you will be reading Diary of a Bad Boy, the Bromance Club book two. From USA Today, best-selling author Megan Quinn, Quinn comes a sassy and sweet romance about an Irish rebel who falls in love with the wrong girl. <gasps> I have good news. It's full of witty banter and swoony moment, moments. Swoony moments. It's the perfect romantic comedy to binge on. 
Can you click the read more button? I want to see some of the plot. Dear diary, I might have gotten myself into a wee bit of trouble. Oh, and I'm not good. talking this about the grown man quote, says dear diary. Court mandated community service or quote therapy sessions from blashing a bloke in the head and quote kind of trouble. I wish it were that simple. Nope. I'm talking about the quote falling in love with one of my client's daughters end quote kind of trouble dot 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 the kind of problem I can't walk talk my way out of when the truth gets out. How I ended up with her phone is a long story and when she called to get it back I took things a bit too far. One innocent exchange wound up leading to so much more. Fun, new, and totally immune to my charm. Sutton is different and I had no idea she was the daughter of Foster Green. Sutton Green sounds like a park or a, Green. a expensive a restaurant. golf club. Ooh, golf club. Blame it on the dark colored stout running through my veins. Naturally. Pushing me towards one bad decision after another. Pushing me towards her even though I know right from wrong. Even though she's my client's daughter. Dating her might be the best or worst decision I've made. Only time. Whiskey with an E. And one more roll around the mattress with her will tell. Whiskey without an E is the Irish whiskey. Mm -hmm. And so therefore this is... American whiskey. American Tennessee whiskey. whiskey. Indeed. So have fun reading about Rourke McCool, who looks to be a Zac Efron type. Uh, with a with a uh, leather jacket that seems to have bird shit all over it. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be Megan Quinn for next week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing every single toxic... Uh, man-child behavior all gathered into one charming person supposedly yes i can't wait to read more i'm so excited all right my name has been and i suppose will continue to be mick dickinson you can find me on twitter at dicky ma and i'm on twitter at susan j that's s with three u's s-a-n-j um and the intro music to our podcast is babe of the night by the band elixir off of their album rampant night michelle Boop. <laughs> 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 <laughs>